That verse isn't from the book of Ecclesiastes. Because Solomon shortchanged us a little bit in the book of Ecclesiastes. He told us what was profitable for under the sun. It's when we get to 1 Peter chapter 1 that we're told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and an eternal inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you that fadeth not away. And that's the basis for joy unspeakable. However, a Christian has a win-win proposition about life under the sun and life over the sun. And that is beautiful if we mix, if we put the whole Bible together, because Peter doesn't deal with what he, what Solomon dealt with in Ecclesiastes. It's by reading the whole Bible and comparing scripture to scripture that we get the whole message. Let's look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and very quickly, I am going to cover the rest of that chapter, which deals with the vanity of riches. Solomon continues to come back to the vanity of riches and wealth. He took a little side track in verses 1 through 7 about the vanity of foolish words and the lack of preparation when coming into the house of God. Then he dealt with oppression by civil rulers in verse 8. And from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, he deals with the vanity of riches by several, seven arguments. Although they are, in, they are combined into three lessons. I'm going to read the last lesson first. And that is how a Christian can live in this world under the sun, enjoying the things God gives. Please remember that when Solomon says, eat, drink, and basically be merry, he is not espousing Epicureanism without a knowledge of Jehovah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have written the first seven verses of this chapter. And what I'm about to read to you has four references to God in it, along with eat, drink, and enjoy. The eat, drink, and enjoy is to take your money, not to hoard it, not to waste it, but to spend it to enjoy the good things of life in moderation and with modesty and with humility before God, thanking Him for it and believing it's a gift from Him that you have days to live to use it, that He blessed your efforts enough to have that money, and the good things He gives you that gives you pleasure are from Him as well. Because there are two extremes we've got to avoid. We've got to avoid the spendthrift who wastes his money and doesn't save. And we need to avoid the miserly hoarder that saves more than he should. Saving is only a virtue to a reasonable point. If you're saving beyond that, you're sinning. And you fall right into the trap of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 of what he's going to call a sickness. And he sees it common among men. Now, for me to tell you that there may be a point where the beyond which you shouldn't save, anyone that knows me says, what? We haven't heard that one before. Is that rule number 11 of Bible economics? But listen, we've got to deal with it because it's here. Let me read the last three verses. And then we'll just look at the seven things we don't want to do on the way to his summary. Ecclesiastes 5.18. Behold, behold. Let me say it right. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. For it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth 
and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. This is not a backslidden, idol-worshipping Epicurean. This is the preacher over Israel, and God blessed him to have and to see and to observe hoarders, spenders. He felt wealth. He could have anything he wanted, and he's giving us conclusions of how we ought to live under the sun. And he's leaving the spiritual aspects of our lives for other books of the Bible. It's the best explanation I can give you, and I believe that's the true explanation for the book of Ecclesiastes. God gave him a limited purpose for the book. But in its place, the limited purpose of the book is to tell you how to live. Notice what it says. Eat, drink, and enjoy the good of your labor. And he mentions God four times. Once in verse 18, twice in verse 19, once in verse 20. In verse 18, God gives you the days of your life to enjoy. If you, if God didn't give you days, you wouldn't have them. In verse 19, God makes some men rich. Also in verse, that's the first part of the verse. In the last part of the verse, the ability for a rich man to take his riches and spend them in ways that God approves of, that's a gift as well. And verse 20, God speaks to that rich man and God speaks to us in the enjoyment of our labor when we are enjoying the simple pleasures he gives and we give him the thanks for them and we are not obsessed nor addicted nor a slave to them. We're free. We just use them as the reward for our labor. That is the contented life of a Christian. This is taught in the New Testament. Timothy was taught by Paul in dealing with money in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I hope some of you read it last evening, God hath given us richly all things to enjoy. Praise the Lord. How hard is Christianity? That was taught in the Old Testament. How much did you have to spend of your gross income every year in celebrating with whatsoever thy heart lusted after? 10% of gross. Now that's a hard religion, isn't it? The pagan religions around Israel were sacrificing their children to idols. God was saying, I want to bless your land so abundantly. I just want you to take 10% of it of your gross income and use it for a vacation every year. And come with your whole family and eat and drink whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Praise the Lord. Let's go back to verse 9. Very quickly, because of the time. I have eight pages of single-space notes on Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it will be ten before I'm done. And I'm not bragging about that at all. I'm just telling you there's a whole lot more that will be available on the website soon for you to go look at some printed material. But let's quickly go through the arguments with the time we have for you to understand that the Lord is telling you, don't set your heart on riches. Don't try to be rich and famous. Don't watch those programs on TV about the rich and famous unless you just want to look at them and say, what a lot of pain. What a lot of trouble. That looks like a lot of vanity and vexation of spirit. Do you know how long it would take to dust that 55,000 square foot joint? Do you know how long it would take to clean 21 toilets? Do you know what the pool chemicals would cost for four swimming pools, two of which are Olympic size? Or you can say, as my brother-in-law said once when he saw a car that I had, it's got a hot future. Let's put it in perspective, then you can watch it. But don't look at that stuff and want that. Look for a simple lifestyle where the Lord will give you enough. 
in between riches and poverty where you can dwell comfortably, eat and enjoy the good, simple things. Notice he says eat and drink. He doesn't say drive, does he? Doesn't it say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So as long as you're clothed, you're eating, you're drinking, the rest of the stuff are just luxuries. We're talking about simple pleasures that every man can afford. And a sleep of a laboring man, you know, when a, when a laboring man comes home, you can give him a small meal, he'll fall into bed and sleep soundly. The rich man who's got, a, who's got an income statement and a balance sheet that would just put tears in your eyes, he has tears in his eyes because he can't sleep. He's wondering who's going to get it, who's stealing it, and what the new tax laws are going to do to him. He's worried about the competitor that lives next door that's trying to put him out of business. He is afraid of all those things, and he cannot enjoy his labor. It's a sickness. Let's get back to verse 9. Very quickly, in verses 9 through 12, we have four perspectives of the vanity of riches. And then in verses 13 through 17, which are combined together, there is a lesson there of three more. But let's just take verse, verses 9 through 12 are kind of distinct. They're, they're individual arguments about the foolishness of riches. Verse number 9, moreover, he just jumps subjects completely. From oppression of civil rulers in verse 8 to this. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Here, and the next verse is going to go on to something else. It's going to go on to the love of silver. It's going to go on to covetousness and greediness of men. What does this verse have to teach us? All is vanity and vexation of spirit we know is the overall theme of the book. So how is this statement supporting the overall goal, and that is to prove that all things are vain and vexing. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served of the field. The second clause is explaining the first one. Everyone depends upon the work of the field. The work of the field is what really satisfies all men. As Solomon would say in the book of Proverbs, the rich and the poor meet together. And I'm going to add, the rich and the poor meet together. At the dinner table. Do you know what? The king eats with one fork too. And he puts his fork into the same thing that you can put your fork into. Well, you might have to buy a different cut of off that off beef than he does. But it's the same thing. You're eating and drinking from the field. You're served with the field. The man that's working in the field... He is protected by the king. Do you know why the king lives? To raise an army to protect the man to keep his field so that he can go out and work without having to carry a sword and he can raise crops to feed the king and his army. And you know what? God gives enough increase. What do we get from one kernel of corn that we put in the ground? What? How many kernels of corn are there on a cob? 16 rows of 50. 800. It's 800 to 1. I think that's 80,000% return per year. That's not a bad portfolio when you can do that. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And God makes the, the reason. Why did God pick 16 rows of 50? Why aren't there 20 rows of 100? It's just the right amount. I believe that. Amen. He told us what to do with corn. He told us what to do with every food grain that's raised. It's enough to feed the king and his army, and it's enough to feed the man who's raising it. And bringing it out of the ground. The profit of the earth is for all. 
There's many things that could be said about this because agriculture is necessary for a government to exist and governments exist to protect agriculture because without agriculture, governments don't exist. It doesn't matter what kind of government you want to talk about, whether it's a republic, a democracy, a monarchy. Guess how they all eat? They eat from the field. And they need that man in the field. And so there is, in a certain sense, no difference between the king and the farmer because they're both eating from the field and they both depend upon the field. They have just come to terms by God's providence that you raise the army to protect me and I'll raise the produce to feed you. And so Solomon says, what's this pursuit of, what what do you want to be, a king? You're still going to eat from the same fields you've been eating from. Farmer, don't go into the papers and read about those business opportunities that want to make you financially independent. The king isn't financially independent. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know how many articles there are? If you go into the news, well, I guess nobody goes in the newspaper anymore. You go online. But if you go online looking for business opportunities, they've got a hundred business opportunities where you don't have to work for no one anymore. You can have your own business. Anybody who owns their own business knows they worked harder than they ever worked before. But they're going to tell you that. And Solomon is just saying here, there is no difference. Farmer, don't be unhappy with your place. King, don't be unhappy with your place. Both are served by the field. Both need each other. Why should the farmer set his ambition on being the king? He gets to eat the same thing. And he's got a king protecting him. There's many more things that could be said, but we gotta, we got to go on. Let me just say one more thing. When I was working at the, I know, when I was working at the bank many, many years ago, and I hate corporate politics, I despise them, I don't like paper shuffling, except I was a, I was a paper shuffler. You go home at night and you wonder if you did anything. You haven't sweat. You know, you wouldn't need to take a shower for a week, practically. 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 Because you don't do anything. You're just shuffling papers and playing with numbers. I thought it was a game. It was like pleasure. You know, pick up the phone and buy this and sell that. Or write this report and type this thing up and get the Excel spreadsheets. Anyway. And all the politics. All the politics. My favorite place to go, and it's been that way for a long time, and I only get there once in a while, and I want to get there again, is to a dairy farm. Because I want to get into a dairy farm and I want to smell cow shit. I want to hear cows piss. I want to see the leather on their backs. I want to see the milk in their udders. I want to see the steaks that are on their hoofs. And I want to meet the people that do that twice or three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Now, all my sons know what, how I used to reason with them in the morning before we went off to our restaurants that we had years ago. I'd say, you're only working six days a week. And as soon as we're done with lunch, you get to come home. Dairy farmers do it in the morning. Dairy farmers do it in the evening. And they do it seven days a week. And they don't get vacations because the cows never post a note that you can have the next week off. And all of that, all of that is to say the smell of... I didn't swear at all. I used what that stuff is called. In the Bible, it's dumb. We don't use that word anymore. You smell it, you see it, and you realize that's what I wear, that's what I eat, and that's what I drink. And these people do it for me all the time, and there's no politics going on in here. 
There is no politics in a dairy barn. There are the things that I just said, and I'm discreet so that I'm not saying them again. I loved it. That's what I get out of. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Every one of those high and mighty guys that sat at the bank and thought they were... I wanted to get to a dairy farm where there were real people. Were you with me the last time in, in Fowlerville, Michigan? No, you didn't go. I, on vacation, I took you the last time. They're the nicest people. They are so down to earth. They are the salt of the earth. And you know what? They, they know the pleasures of life. They know that on that hook is, are good things to drink, good things to eat, and good things to wear. Right. And it's a pretty sophisticated business nowadays. A big dairy farm, they have every cow tracked. Yes, they do. They have it in their computer, and they know exactly what nutrients they're giving each one. It's a sophisticated, it can be a sophisticated business. Verse 10. Look at not, number 9. Should just reduce any man who wants to get out of being what God called him to be and to think of something that he thinks is exclusively different and financially independent. They're not financially independent. They are dependent on those farmers. And go ask what happens to kings when farmers decide they're not going to grow crops because they're tired of the present government. There's a new government. Because kings don't go out to fields, kill farmers, and then plow and do the fields for them. Verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The word also is there because he's listing, th- he's listing arguments against wanting to be rich. This, the second argument in verse 10 is covetousness will not allow you to be content when you get what you want. Eric Carnell, your brother, used to have this on the, on the wall of his office when he ran a restaurant there behind Haywood Mall. And it was a good saying. Because the more you make, the more you want to make. If you set yourself a line in your mind and say, if I could get to that level of income, I would be content. You do not know anything about what you will be thinking when you reach that line. Because you haven't been to that line yet. Because once you reach that line, in the time that transpires between now and then, you will have heard about someone else making some more money. You will have run into something else that you could buy, but you won't be able to buy it with that level of money. And by the time you get to that level of money, if God has blessed you with that much success by his providence, you will think that you should go just beyond because God's blessed you so much to get that point. He that loveth silver, this is a rule. This is a rule to apply to yourself. If I were to have... What I think I want to have or need to have to be happy, once I got there, I would not be happy. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. If you think a certain size of house will make you happy, you're wrong. It will not make you happier than you are right now because happiness is a choice to be content with the things God has already given you. And that is gain. That is success. That is prosperity. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Because all of a sudden to say, oh, I do love my present house. I do love my present vehicle. I'm happy. Let's just sit down and have and split a bottle of Cabernet and have a piece of steak. Amen. And wear some leather loafers. They're all from, a, well, not the, not the Cabernet, but chocolate milk. Because he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. It is a sickness of the human nature that we are not content with the things God gave us. What did Adam and Eve have in the Garden of Eden? How many varieties of fruit? More than at Bilo or less? More. 
all manner of fruit, and they could eat from every tree. But there was one tree God told them not to eat of, and it was that tree that drove them crazy. And don't we know that about ourselves? we got to go on. I hope you can see that. Children, believe this. Believe that verse. Amen. You th- Anthony, what car do you think is going to make you happy? Don't, don't, don't say it. <laughs> a car can't make you happy. It, it might give you a short-term pleasure for a few minutes as you drive it off the lot. But don't drive it by my house, because if you drive by my house, I'll tell you that you lost 20% of its value by driving it to my house from the lot. And as soon as you get it, it starts to break down. Didn't we have a van purchased in here that had, it has about 30 buttons in that thing. You get near it. It's got a remote control that has more buttons on it than your DVD player. There was a van purchased in this church. The transmission fell out, fell out of it, quit on it in the first 6,000 miles. Things go bad. After you've had it for just a few days, it's old stuff. A few weeks, it's old stuff. These are lessons to learn, and don't let yourself be deceived, because guess what? You have a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that does not want to believe these rules from the book of Ecclesiastes. Right. True. The world does not believe these rules, and so it constantly presses you that you need more and more to be happy. And they love to tell you about their more and more. Then the devil helps coordinate the two of you to get together. And so it's a conspiracy. This is the level of conspiracy, I believe. It's the devil, the flesh, and the world working together to try to overthrow verse 10. But verse 10 is absolute truth. This is what we believe about the Bible. A man tried everything, and everything he tried, he found it to be vanity and vexation of spirit. And he found out this particular vanity, that if you love silver, if you love a house, if you love a lawn, if you love your children... If you make your children your God, no matter what, they are going to disappoint you and will not satisfy. It does not matter if it's silver. Silver is just used as one example of many things. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. It will not be enough. Next one, verse 11. When goods increase, here's a rule of economic prosperity that we don't want. So let's not have economic prosperity. Let's have moderation. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? You want a big income statement with great big giant numbers at the top of that income statement? What Solomon is telling you is the more, the bigger the number gets at the top of your income statement, the bigger the number gets just below the top of the income statement. You have income or revenue, then you have expenses. And the bottom line is the same or less. So why do you just want more to worry about having the same net effect? This is, I love the wisdom of the Word of God. This is not taught in business schools. They grow and grow and grow and grow themselves. Do you know how big City Corps is? You have no concept of how big City Corps is. I don't have any concept of how big City Corps is. City Corps has a balance sheet that is $2 trillion in its assets. But guess what? It's also $2 trillion in its liabilities. Do you know how much that is to take care of? It's so much they couldn't do it. So for the last 12 months, they've been used, losing billions per quarter because it's too big to take care of. Why not just be content with a moderate business where you've got a bottom line? Why have the same bottom line and add to yourself three times the effort to get the revenue up and three times the effort to manage your expenses? 
So it's a rule of Solomon here, an economic rule not taught in a business school that we can sit and humble ourselves before and say, I'm going to be content with moderate size. These businesses just want to keep grow, 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 grow. But that's America. That's the world forcing it on them. Be content with moderation. You don't have to be the biggest farm in the county. You don't have to be the biggest bank in the world. You don't have to have the most branches of any finance company. But everybody wants to grow. You know, McDonald's is measured by how many units they have. You know, do they still have 8,000 in the U.S. and eight to 10,000 internationally? What do they have? Grow, grow, grow. Why not make sure everyone that you've got is functioning well and you can go home and sleep about it because you've only got a few hundred of them. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. That means when income goes up, so do expenses. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The best example for this one, professional athletes. Most, I won't say most, because there are some intelligent athletes. But there are, there are quite a few professional athletes that are paid millions and millions of dollars in their lives, and they end up paupers. They end up paupers because... When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Whenever the boys would see some news item about Michael Jordan making $25 million in a year, I would make them sit down with me, pull out the pen, and let's see who works for Michael Jordan. And by the time we got done, there wasn't much left of Michael Jordan's $25 million. Because the government works for Michael Jordan, he has to pay them. And so there goes the first 50%. But then... You know, what else does Michael Jordan have? He's got to have an agent. He's got to have an accountant, or plural, of each of these. Bodyguards, chauffeurs, doormen, housekeepers, nutritionists, public relations, trainers, and, of course, the always present psychophatic leeches, the parasites that live off of those athletes hoping for a handout at every turn. You've seen the Mike Tysons and others who have squandered fortunes because of this verse right here. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. So remember that. H- higher revenue or higher income is not always a positive thing because expenses grow to consume it. Right. And all you get to do is see, look at how much I made. Look at how much I spent. Honey, we've got a little bit less than last year. But I, I thought you got two raises in a promotion this year. I did. But you know, we put the kids in the new school. We bought the bigger house. And we leased two new vehicles. We have less left over this year than we did last year. So be content with moderation. Solomon's just pounding us with it. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether he eat little or much. You know, he ain't worried about what, whether he ate at a four-star restaurant or a five-star restaurant. Do you know that the laboring man doesn't care? Right. He's so tired when he gets home, all he knows is he wants to get a little bit in because he's a little bit hungry and then he wants to go to sleep. And the sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. He's got so many things going on in his head about what he's got to do tomorrow in order to keep this level of revenue up, in order to avoid these threats against his business. He is vulnerable to such and such that is coming into his market. He's got to think about all those things, and so he tosses and turns on his bed, and he can't sleep, though he's got abundance. But the man who is a day laborer, a day laborer, 
coming home, eating a simple meal, can fall into bed and sleep soundly. He, he doesn't really have a whole lot of choice about it. He sleeps soundly most of the time. The general rule is right here. There are four arguments. Look at Solomon taking apart your ambition to be rich, thinking of how as rich I'd be happy. If you were rich, you're no better off than what's in verse 9, because both the king and the farmer both live of the field. Verse 10, it's not going to make you happy. Verse 11, your expenses are just going to go up commensurate with your income, so you're going to have the same bottom line. And verse 12, you ain't going to sleep as well because you're going to be worried about keeping all that you've got. Verses 13 through 17. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun. Namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath from his sickness. There are three lessons here. Do you know how you find three lessons in a passage like this? By the two also's. When you find an also, you have two things being compared. And you have an also in verse 16, and you have an also in verse 17, and it's describing three other aspects of the vanity of riches. And these three aspects are the loss of that, the loss of those assets, the death that you're going to have, where you're going to leave them anyway, and the sickness that most rich people have, or at least the misers that are considered in this passage. Back to verse 13, there is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept. The error here is a miser. A miser is a person who saves too much. You may think that a miser has to save everything, but know this is a man who's miserly in his financial dealings. He just wants to keep it. There are riches kept. Kept is not a virtue other than a portion in case evil comes and you need to protect yourself. Savings is not an evil if you're saving it for an inheritance for your children, but they only need so much. Any more than that, you're going to spoil them. Take it and spend it. Money is to be spent. I got it out. It's not my nature. My ancestry is half Scotch and half Jew. I speak very respectfully. I'm very thankful for my ancestry. Savings is not a virtue past a prudent point. A prudent point of protecting against harm. Because what kind of savings are we told about in the Bible? It's in Proverbs 6 and it's in Proverbs 30. And it's the same creature both times. What creature is it? It's the ant. The ant, while there's the abundance of harvest, takes some of it, the, the abundance of summer and harvest, takes some of it below to eat through the winter. So all we have to do is protect ourselves from some winter that's coming in our lives or from some winter that could come in our lives. That's the extent of savings that you need. You don't want to save it all. Because saving it all, you're going to end up in verse 13, I have seen a sore evil. Namely, riches kept for the owners. Why are they keeping it? 
And it ends up to their hurt. Because riches in your hand are a problem. They cause you to worry. They can bring about fear. They bring about lust of people to get their hands on it. It increases your tax bracket that you're in. On and on we could go. But the real danger of it is in verse 14. These riches perish by evil travail. This is the first of the three lessons. If you save too much, then you've saved and you haven't enjoyed the, the extent of enjoyment that you could have had. Okay? Savings requires, savings is a financial exercise of self-denial. You deny yourself short-term pleasure in order to have future pleasure or future protection. But if you are too miserly and you save too much and you're not liberal and fat with your distribution of your money for yourself and for others, and you're saving it back, then you've denied yourself and then those riches perish by evil travail. Verse 14. Whatever, there's a tax change, there's a law, there's a change in the tax laws and they disappear. Theft gets a hold of them. Corruption of, of assets that are material. And he begetteth a son and there is nothing in his hand. All these ambitions for the future, for his son to make him a nobleman or a gentleman by having this landed estate, you know, is taken away from him and he didn't enjoy the, the, the labor that he put into his life on his way there. So the first reason that you can save too much is that it can, it can disappear and you denied yourself for nothing. Savings is commanded in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 30, by the example of the ant. Proverbs, savings is commanded in the Bible by virtue of the verses that tell us, the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. And one of the way we, ways we hide ourselves is to save a little bit. But I'm talking about saving too much. And everyone in here ought to ask themselves, some of you are spendthrifts and need to forget what I'm saying right now because you don't have a problem with saving too much. And that's the truth with every verse in the Bible. Some, it hits directly and others don't really have their sin in that area. Their sin is in some other area. You better save. There could be evil days coming in this country and you will need something to fall back on. You better save some of all revenue, all blessings of God in your life. However, you can save too much and you can be, you can be uh, like a Scrooge in using that for yourself, for your family, for others. This, this sore evil that we're considering is riches kept for the owners. Thereof to their hurt. The first hurt is God's providence takes it away from them and they didn't get the enjoyment out of it. It's just gone. The second hurt is in verses 15 and 16. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. This also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? He that has tried to accumulate an estate and hasn't spent it and enjoyed a portion of it for the good of himself, for the good of his family, he then gets cut, cut off and he goes to the cemetery without a single thing. He goes to the cemetery with the same things he brought into this world, nothing. And so he denied himself. The first case is loss. God takes it away in his providence by allowing your estate to be lost. The second one is you're taken away and you lose your estate by death. And dying. So you leave the world, you can't take anything with you, and what you heaped up 
Thinking that you can keep it for yourself is like thinking you can keep the wind harnessed. It's going to blow away, either by loss or by your death. And you came into this world with nothing, and you're going to go out with nothing. So enjoy the simple pleasures of life while you're here. Third reason. Verse 17. All his days also. Notice that word also. He's adding. Adding. Solomon is adding by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All his days also, this miser, this man who saves too much, this man who does not enjoy the blessings that God has given him financially as much as he could or should, all his days also he eateth in darkness. He's an unhappy man. His life is evil. There's trouble. There's burdens. There's pressure. There's worry. There's fear. There's discontent. There's discontentment. All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. What is the sickness? Saving too much. What is the sickness? Being a miser. What is the sickness? Not choosing to enjoy pleasure, commensurate with your level of income and assets. Because the Lord expects you to do so, as I'm about to show you in verses 18 and 19. He eateth in darkness. His life, his life has a dark cloud over it. This kind of person has a dark cloud over him. Life isn't as good or as exciting as it could be because he's not spending enough. If he would spend more, he could find some good under the sun that God intended for him to have. But he lives like a miser. And he hath much sorrow. He's sorrowful any time he sees money being spent because he wants to save it all. And so when he, when he sees that milk has gone up, I hope I'm right, Sherry, from two ninety nine a gallon to four twenty nine a gallon, it's just painful. Even though there's plenty of revenue to buy milk and Nestle's quick to put in the milk to make chocolate milk and a glass of chocolate milk. At least for my son Jonathan, who's not here, I will tell a secret on him. Chocolate milk made with Nestle's quick powder makes him very happy. <laughs> I, did I say a glass? No, I meant several glasses. Sherry thinks we just ought to dump some in the top of a gallon jug and shake it and then hand it to him. You see the, ex- so what? Why eat in sorrow? Sorrow that the tax man raised tax rates. Sorrow that your rent went up because your landlord decided to raise rent. His wrath because there's competitors that are coming against him and he gets angry at them. Because he wants to save everything he can and accumulate as much as he can. So my point, Solomon's point, not my point, Solomon's point from these verses right here. Can you walk the line? And it's a broad road. In this case, it's a broad road between the ditch of saving too much and the ditch of being a spendthrift and not saving anything. Can you save a moderate percentage, like 10% of your revenue, and just salt it away? And forget about it. Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Invest it. Forget about it. Just let it be there if the Lord ever brings a winter into your life so that you can go downstairs like the ant does and eats well all winter. But if you're saving too much, God's going to take it away. If there's an economic collapse in this country, I don't care where you've got it salted away, and gold bullion ain't going to do any good either. They won't trade the stuff. What do you think you're going to get to trade with you? What are they going to do with it? Eat it? Is the government going to take it? In lieu of taxes, try it sometime. 
Don't count on anything because the Lord can take it away any way you try to protect it. But if you try to accumulate too much, the Lord can take it away by loss. You're going to die and leave it anyway. And you know how terrible that was to Solomon to think of his foolish son Rehoboam getting his hands on it. And the third thing is you're going to end up in sorrow, wrath, and sickness during your life because you've got darkness, you've got a dark cloud over you. Come home every night and take the, blow the cloud away. How can you blow the cloud away? I've already said so. A half bottle of Cabernet, a good piece of flesh, and a loaf of bread. That's, what's, that's what David gave to all of Israel in Second Samuel 6 and verse 19. You can do that. But you know what? It's a gift from God to be able to do it. Now we get to the conclusion. There are seven reasons why. There's no difference between a farmer and a king. Verse 9, we all eat from the same field. We each need each other. Verse 10, you ain't going to be happy if you get more and more stuff. Verse 11, the more your income goes up, the more your expenses go up. So all that you see is more coming in and more going out. Same bottom line. Verse 12, you can't sleep if you've got so much. You can sleep better if you're a laborer. Verse 13 through 17, loss, death, and sickness make accumulating too much and saving too much not God's wisdom for your life. God's wisdom for your life is disciplined spending so that you have some to save and you spend the rest to enjoy God's blessing in your life. Verse 18 is for the average man. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one, the average man, one, to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. For it is his portion. That is the portion of an average man to come home and enjoy the good of all his labor by eating and drinking. In the sight of God, in the sight of the wise man Solomon, it is good and comely to live like that. Work hard, don't work too hard. Come home, eat and drink comfortably. Don't do it too luxuriously. Don't do it too stingily. Enjoy it. Verse 19 is a man who's got a man whom God has blessed above average. Every man also, notice the also. There's so many also's in this book because there's so many lessons. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. This is not ordinary income. And hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion, the portion mentioned in verse 18, which ought to be commensurate and proportionate to his level of income and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. You know what it says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6? There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. How does a stranger get his hands on this rich man's wealth in 6-2 that God blessed him with? Loss. God takes it away by giving it to a thief. God takes it away by giving it to the government through taxes. God takes it away by a competitor. It's loss. Or the man dies. God takes it away. And he never got to enjoy it while he had it. And he said it's common among men. I hope I have not been the cause of that in anyone's life. I have always preached savings. It was always preached to me and the Bible preaches it to me. It's taught in the Bible and ought to be a rule of Bible economics. What are the first three rules of Bible economics as we understand them from the Bible? Obey God, pay God first, pay yourself second. That's what the Lord tells you to do and then you live on the rest. It's such an easy way to budget money. Give God what he's due first. Of course, after taxes. 
because the government takes their portion first. Then we, but we pay God. We pay him off a of gross. And then we pay ourselves and we put it away in savings. But we don't put too much away because we don't want to violate this passage. This passage is telling us here about a different kind of vanity. It's the vanity of saving too much. It's the vanity of being miserly. It's the vanity of trying to keep when you just ought to scatter for yourself, your family, and others. An ordinary man in verse 18, a rich man in verse 19. Verse 20, for he shall not much remember the days of his life. Remember the dark, the dark cloud that's over the man in verse 17? All his days also he eateth in darkness. But a man who learns how to spend his money and have, have some toys. We're talking about a rich man. Have some pleasures and eat and drink well each day. For he shall not much remember the days of his life. That darkness goes away and light comes in because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Acts 14, verse 17, God gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That is taught in both Testaments. This is not Epicureanism. This is Christianity and the thoroughness and the breadth that the law of God deals with our lives that tells us eat, drink, be merry, fear me, love me, look after the heavenly things that I have for you. But while you're here, enjoy the life that I've given you. Don't waste it. Don't be overly, don't spend too much. Don't save too much because I want you to have some pleasure while you're here on earth. I've got a whole lot more stored up for you in heaven to come. The, the Bible is wonderful. Amen. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. May you understand what we've just covered, and may you be able to war against the lust of our flesh, the ideas of the world, and the deception of Satan to get us to go against that passage. Riches will not satisfy you. They will mess up your life. They destroy men and drown them in destruction and perdition, according to 1 Timothy 6. Right.